Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted March 22, 2021, titled Errors in the Bible, Frank Turek versus Bart Ehrman. Today, Christian apologist Frank Turek will be giving us insights on God's ability to give us the divinely protected text of his word. By not preserving the original, you actually are able to preserve the original better. Well, that doesn't sound right. Turek, you heretic, why'd you do that? Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel, take a second to tap on the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when new science, theology, and news videos come out. Today we're going to look at one of the most popular Q&A clips from Christian apologist Frank Turek. How do you account for the errors of the scribes um, when the New Testament was handed down person to person? Yeah, excellent question. There are errors that we know about. Why? because we can compare the documents, we can compare the manuscripts and see where the errors are. Now, this video was titled, Are There Errors in the Bible? But that question could be asking a number of different things. For example, is any of the information in the Bible inaccurate? But because Grace, our question asker, specifies errors of the scribes, Frank is quick to run with the concept of textual variance among the extant manuscript copies, though this is not the only kind of scribal error. Now, Frank is going to be appealing to the scholarship of Bart Ehrman, the great skeptic. So, I too shall be using Dr. Ehrman's words to examine Frank's words. Dr. Ehrman even wrote Question Asker Grace's Bible School textbook. We're studying Ehrman now. You're studying Misquoting Jesus? Um, no, his textbook, um, the New Testament. Okay, well that one that he co-wrote with Metzger is actually good. Though Frank calls them errors, I think to be specific... Dr. Ehrman would call them manuscript differences. How many manuscript differences are we talking about here? Some scholars say there are 200,000 differences. Some say there are 300,000 differences. Some say there are 400,000 differences. We don't know. Even with the advances of computer technology, we don't know. One thing we can say for certain is that there are more differences in our manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament. That sounds like a lot. Uh, and let's say you find four different copies. And in the first copy, you see an error right here. And then uh, another copy, there's another error right there. In the third copy, there's another error right there. And in the fourth copy, there's an error right there. Can you reconstruct the original? Yes. Yes. Just to be quite clear about this, most of these 300,000, 400,000 differences are completely immaterial, insignificant, and don't matter for a thing other than to show that scribes in the ancient world could spell no better than my students can today. Okay, so spelling mistakes, like Frank's diagram showed. There are other kinds of accidental mistakes that you find in manuscripts. I mean, scribes often were incompetent, or they were sleepy, or they were inattentive, and so they made mistakes. Scribes sometimes would leave out a letter. Sometimes they'd leave out a word. 
they would often leave out an entire line. Their eye would skip from one line to the next line, and so they would leave out a line. There are some manuscripts where scribes have left out a page. Well, that, you know, that's an inattentive uh, scribe. There are other places where scribes accidentally copy the same word twice, or the same line twice. Uh-oh. So yes, sometimes scribe made mistakes, but in virtually all cases, we know what the mistake was, and we can correct it by comparing it with other documents. Is that right, Dr. Ehrman? These accidental mistakes are usually pretty easy. If, if you're trained, they're pretty easy to catch, and you can see where it's happened. And so they're not, they're not, all, that, they're not all that significant for trying to know what the, what the authors said. Okay. Sounds like we're all on the same page so far. So what if the error is not that simple? Like, uh, what if it's a, it's a, a difference in concept? then how do we justify truth in that, as well as how do we justify the truth in Jesus' exact words when we didn't hear them ourselves? Okay, there is no significant doctrine, theological doctrine, that is affected by any variant. And who admits this? Bart Ehrman himself. Solid endorsement, if true. So Bart Ehrman, the great skeptic, admits that the New Testament documents are reliable. Hold on there, Frank. No significant doctrine is affected by a variant is not the same as New Testament documents are reliable. Reliable can have many different meanings, so that vague word might be causing some misunderstanding. Reliable could mean that the events described in the New Testament happen just as described, rather than accurately copied. But I know that Dr. Ehrman doesn't think that. But in 2005, he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, a popular book, uh, in which he tries to insinuate that we can't trust what the New Testament documents have said. Exactly. In some ways, Dr. Ehrman finds the New Testament documents to be unreliable. We have to be specific. Does Dr. Ehrman think that manuscript differences are why we can't trust what the New Testament documents have said? They're not all that significant for trying to know what the, what the authors said. I see. Yet, the very same year... 2005, he wrote an academic work. He updated an academic work with his mentor, Dr. Bruce Metzger from Princeton University. In fact, Metzger was the top manuscript scholar of the last century. And in that book, he agrees with Metzger that the New Testament documents are copied accurately. Now, why is he coming to two different conclusions the same year? Now, here's what he says. This is in the appendix of the paperback version, so this comes out a year or two later from the original Misquoting Jesus. He's interviewed, and in the interview, here's what he says. Check this out. This is a quote from the book, page 252. If he and I were put into a room and asked to hammer out a consensus statement on what we think the original text of the New Testament probably looked like, there would be very few points of disagreement, maybe one or two dozen places out of many thousands. The position I argue for in misquoting Jesus does not actually stand at odds with Professor Metzger's position that the essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. Well, why would you write misquoting Jesus then? Not you, but Bart Ehrman, right? So two things. One is, um, I, I don't think that any theologian or any Christian believer is going to have any of their major beliefs change because of uh, textual variants in the New Testament. And, the, and I've never said they would. And so I've always been a little bit surprised that people think that like I've changed my mind because I've never, ever, ever said that, that essential Christian doctrines were at stake. Um, because Christians don't make their doctrines based on a single word. 
or a single verse. It, it's a compilation of the entire scriptures that helped them and the tradition that they live in. The, and so we're not talking about that. But it, what strikes me as odd as well is that they think that, that therefore, these kind of variants don't matter. Look, there are lots and lots and lots of things that really matter a lot that don't affect essential doctrine. So it seems that even Ehrman, when, when push comes to shove, admits that we do have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents. Let's be precise with language here, Frank. It takes neither push nor shove for Dr. Ehrman to share his conclusion that Christian doctrine doesn't rise or fall on accidental scribal variants. Whether you trust the essential doctrines in my opinion, has almost nothing to do with textual variants in the New Testament. Knowing that the New Testament tells that Jesus got raised from the dead, you would believe that even if you didn't have a Bible because you're in a Christian <laughs> church and that's what they say. So your, your belief isn't based, you do not believe in the Bible. And so the doctrine is either true or false no matter what the Bible says. That's, that's my point. Why is, I mean, the book maybe should be called Misquoting Ehrman. Or maybe, and hear me out, maybe Frank is mistaken or misrepresenting. And Dr. Ehrman's book, Misquoting Jesus, puts forth an entirely different reason to question the reliability of scriptures than accidental variations. In addition to the uh, accidental mistakes, there are intentional mistakes, which are by far the most interesting kinds of mistakes. And I'm going to give you several examples of ones that strike me as rather significant. Before, I just want to make one final point, that the earliest scribes were much worse than the later scribes. They certainly made a lot more accidental changes. They may have made a lot more intentional changes, and there's no way for us to know. Let me tell you about some of the intentional changes. In the King James Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, provides us with the only place in the entire New Testament where the doctrine of the Trinity is explicitly taught. The doctrine of the Trinity is that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those are not three gods, the three are one. 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 in, uh, in the King James Bible refers to there are three in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. That's in the King James Bible, but it's not in the Greek manuscripts. You get it, it's actually in a few Greek manuscripts, and it's in Latin manuscripts, which was at the heart of the uh, Latin Vulgate. It's an important verse because, as I said, you, you can intuit or you can, you can reason towards the Trinity from other passages in the New Testament. This is the only passage that explicitly teaches it, and it wasn't originally in the New Testament. You can't make a Jesus movie without the woman taking an adultery. Let the one without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. It's found in manuscripts of the Gospel of John, but it's not originally in the Gospel of John, probably, because it's not in the earliest manuscripts of John. It's a story that was added later, after our earliest manuscripts. How many stories were added before our earliest manuscripts? We have no way of knowing. They may have been some of our favorite stories. How would we know? We can't know. We don't have any evidence. The last 12 verses of Mark, where Jesus appears to his disciples and tells them that anyone that, who converts and believes in him will uh, be able to speak in foreign tongues, will be able to uh, handle deadly snakes, will drink poison and it won't hurt them. Those verses are not found in the oldest and best manuscripts of Mark. These are the verses used by the Appalachian snake handlers in my part of the world. I've always thought that on the way to the hospital, somebody should tell one of these people, actually, you know, those verses aren't in the original copy of the gun. <laughs> you can see these are pretty important verses. So even though most of the changes are accidental, some of the intentional ones really matter. Is the text of the New Testament reliable? The short answer is there is no way to tell. 
How can we possibly know, given the kinds of evidence we have? There are passages that scholars continue to debate. Scholars disagree on this verse or that verse, sometimes important verses. They debate because we can't know. There are passages where we will never know what the original wording was. Does it matter? In my view, the answer is absolutely yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Ehrman. And of course, this argument is one purely from textual criticism, not scratching the surface of forgeries, doctrinal infighting of early Christians, and the legendary development within the oral tradition in the decades before the first stroke of the New Testament pen. But it should be enough to demonstrate that Frank has presented a quote from an opposing scholar's introduction, hoping that his audience isn't aware that it's a mere setup for a different conclusion. This reminds me of young earth creationists who use this quote from Darwin, To suppose that the eye with all of its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Hoping their audience doesn't know that it's an introduction to an entire chapter where Darwin does go on to explain the evolution of the eye in great detail something most creationist audiences don't realize, and the apologist is hoping they never check. But not content to merely misrepresent Dr. Ehrman's book, in the spirit of Christian charity and apologetic quest for truth, Frank takes it one step further to cast aspersions on Bart's character. Now, why is he coming to two different conclusions the same year? Same evidence. The only thing I can speculate is when you say to the academic community something wrong, they'll correct you on it. But when you say something wrong to the lay community, they don't know any better in most cases. You can sell a lot of books when you say the New Testament documents aren't copied reliably. That's quite the speculation from someone who just said something wrong to a lay community who doesn't know any better in most cases. And for someone who's contributed to four best-selling popular-level Christian books which contain many academically unrigorous passages, like this one from I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's also important to understand that the universe did not emerge from existing material, but from nothing. There was no matter before the Big Bang. In fact, chronologically, there was no before the Big Bang because there are no befores without time, and there was no time until the Big Bang. Time, space, and matter came into existence at the Big Bang. Frank may be leveraging some arbitrary distinction between matter and energy, which are just forms of the same thing, to be not wrong on a technicality about matter being post-Big Bang, since possibly it was purely an energy form before that, further caveated with that overarching question of coherence of even asking the question of what was before time. That's living in the we-don't-know area of science. However, the claim, the universe did not emerge from existing material, but from nothing, is absolutely not an accepted aspect of mainstream Big Bang cosmology. While the debate continues, from Georges Lemaitre's singularity hypothesis, to the hurdle-hawking no-boundary proposal, to newer competing quantum cosmological models, none eliminate already existing material, or put forth anything resembling Frank's philosophical nothing. The universe came from nothing is something apologists say to an audience who presumably hasn't given it much thought or study. Unlike Dr. Ehrman, 
for whom we can compare his academic level work and his popular level work and discover that they are both fully consistent on the topic of the impact of accidental manuscript variations on Christian doctrine, despite an inflammatory apologist YouTube video claiming otherwise, for Frank, we can do no such comparison. Despite his Doctor of Ministry degree from Southern Evangelical Seminary, Frank has not yet written an academic book on anything. So, we have no way of knowing what he'd say about the origin of matter in a context where the academic community knows he's wrong. Perhaps we'll never know. Just as we'll never know the extent to which the earliest scribes made intentional changes to the New Testament manuscripts. How many stories were added before our earliest manuscripts? We have no way of knowing. They may have been some of our favorite stories. How would we know? We can't know. We don't have any evidence. If you like and appreciate what we do here at Apologia, please consider supporting the channel with a YouTube membership or with the PayPal or Patreon links below. It's only by that support that our videos are possible. So thank you. And if you're not yet sure, tap on the video on screen now. Looking at more claims of Christians, and I'll see you over there. Until next time. Later.